0: The Guardian.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes creating a professional website for your business, personal brand or portfolio so easy, it's newsworthy. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off.
2: White line fever Sickness born
0: down deep within my soul. White line fever. The
2: years keep flying by like the Highline Pole.
1: As the season of literary log-rolling draws to its close, we take a satirical look at eight of the year's big books with The Guardian's John Crace and try to digest what they reveal about the state we're in at the end of 2014. Today's Digested Read is more fool me, the latest autobiographical tome from that national treasure, Stephen Fry.
0: I know what you're thinking. What has silly old Stephen gone and done now? To you, my darlings, I can only put my hands up and admit that this third volume of autobiography is every bit as narcissistic and unrevealing as the previous two. If you want an interesting autobiography in which you find out who did what to whom, I'm still very particular about that usage, then I suggest you read Rupert Everett's absolutely marvellous humdinger of a book. I just don't have it in me to be that honest about either my friends or myself. I'm far too needy of people's approval. Besides, I genuinely find that everyone I meet is absolutely marvellous. I worry too that some of you sweethearts might find this unbearably smug. There goes Stephen off on one again. But the truth is I would have rather have that than the thought I was being ignored. Knowing where to start is always incredibly tricky. Should I plunge straight into the mephitic swamp of my cocaine years or should I spend the first hundred pages rehashing the first two volumes of my autobiography? After a nanosecond of indecision I find that what I want, even if you don't, is a little more of la vie en because the more often I reread myself the more interesting I find I become. I still chortle every time I get to the passage when the big cardiganed library assistant ruffled my hair when I was 12. Such schoolboy larks. Ah, Now that we're up to date, I present you with a list. Buckingham Palace, the Garrick Club, the Groucho Club, the House of Lords. I could go on, so I will. These aren't my homes, though at times they might well have been, as some of my dearest, kindest, most talented friends are to be found within their fitted walls. Rather, they are just some of the places in which I have partaken of the Bolivian marching powder. There, I've said it, and I can feel some of you gushing with shock, having thought me better than that. But as anyone who has followed my all-too-modest career with even half an eye open will know, intelligence is no barrier to cashing in, with just a smidgen of faux shame to leaven the boasting on some rather dull anecdotes about taking drugs with famous people while we were all doing unutterably wonderful things like appearing on the television. Gosh, what a sentence that was! "'I feel quite exhausted at having reached its end. "'Let me tell you a wonderful story. i just hoovered up industrial quantities of blow on the red carpet "'when who should appear but the Prince of Wales? Stephen, he said, "'I enjoy your work immensely.' "'I immediately prostrated my heavy bottomed body before him, sobbing. "'Sire, I am not worthy to be your subject.' Can I have a K one day? I'm still waiting, your Madge. Though I have to say the POW is much more handsome and clever in person than he appears on television. I digress. I have a very funny Queen Mother story, but I can't retell it here. It wouldn't be fair. Another time, perhaps. Allow me to move on to the story of Damon, Keith and I in the Groucho, reminding ourselves of how talented we all were while snorting 15 grams of coke off the head of a bull dwarf. And then, oh, deary, deary me, I seem to have run out of all the stories that made Ken, M, Hugh and John honk with laughter in the private dining room at Lascargo. So if you will indulge me just the teensiest bit more, I propose to reproduce some of my diaries from 1993 to pad out the book. 8th of September, lunch with Clive and Woody before returning home to write 300 words of my novel. A few toots and then out to the launch of my new haircut. Home late. Nighty night. 23rd of September, what an arse I've been. I forgot I was having dinner with Princess Diana. I would never have forgotten if I'd had an Apple iPhone to remind me. Pooh. First of October, Pinch and the Punchykins, to the health spa for a massage before reading Hugh's new script. It really is the most brilliant thing he has ever written. Would that I had even a pixel of his talent. Fourteenth of October. Hugh has just read my all-too-feeble attempt at a novel and says it is quite, quite brilliant and worthy of a Nobel Prize. I am beyond elation, dear, sweet, intelligent Hugh. 31st of October. Hordes of little people have been queuing for hours to see me. I suppose I should take my head out of my arse and go and meet them, but it's terribly warm and cosy in here. Tompy. The digested read, digested, more fool the reader.
1: That was John Crace giving his digested read of Stephen Fry's More Fool Me. Joining us to discuss it is our very own one-time lovey and now ah. set sober man of letters, <laughs> Lindsay Irving. That was very harsh, wasn't it, Lindsay?
2: Oh dear, I fear that was actually rather restrained and respectful of account of a book which pretty much uh, repeats those same tiresome ticks over and over again through uh, what is a longer book than I think anybody could actually finish.
1: So, Lindsay, why do you think he's done this? We could say that this is the portrait of a busted lush.
2: (laughs) Well, yes, indeed you could. I mean, one wonders about Stephen Fry's loggeria. He cannot shut up and he's prolific despite the fact that he would certainly benefit from spreading himself just a little thinner and presumably if with this book he would not have had time to concentrate on it um with more than an eighth of his brain because uh, of his innumerable television projects and other kind of uh, glowing reviews of apple technology and so on um so so there's that and there probably was an obligation to fulfill to his um no doubt excellent wonderful marvelous publisher
1: John, is this a bit of an easy target for satire? Um,
0: Yes, but if it's there, <laughs> um, why not? I mean, you know, Stephen Fry is a sort of national figure and he's produced the book and it was at the time one of the sort of one of the lead titles for the autumn. And I mean, to, to go back to what Lindsay was saying about read it reads as if... It was dictated, and it's almost as though he's talking, and somebody is writing down every word that he said. I mean, I'm not a Stephen Fry hater by any means. I just feel that he has overpresented himself, and that perhaps for the time being, less would be more. Some of the tropes have become far too familiar. And then he's, he's in the end, he's sort of becoming a self-parody, which is a sort of disaster.
2: And the self-promoting self-effacement has just become so tiresome, the Endless. Everything is prefaced for it with an apology for being, self you know, possibly appearing self-indulgent and boastful, which he really doesn't want to because he's incredibly embarrassed and ashamed. And you get that over and over again.
1: He, ha- he does have some quite interesting friends, doesn't he? Who are these Hughes and Clives and people?
2: Hugh is Hugh Laurie.
0: Clive, I think, is Clive Anderson. M, is who's that... another, ho- who's a, dear, a, a, a sort of M chat Thompson. show host. Yeah. Yeah. M is Emma Thompson. Ken is Kenneth Branagh. I think. I mean, everyone who was ever on telly on BBC Two in the early nineties is in the book. He seems to know everybody.
2: No, and not have, uh, sadly, a bad word, or even a slightly critical or dispassionate word for everybody. Everybody's an absolute darling.
0: Well, in the end, it also becomes meaningless because it appears that he has no discrimination. Because if everything everybody does is absolutely fantastic, <laughs> excellent and brilliant, then there is no real kind of benchmark about to which to judge anything. I mean, it's almost as though, you know, you would need to put your breakfast conversation on telly because it would be <laughs> so what, penetrating, so and, penetrating and interesting. And the idea that any of them could ever have done anything dull or below standard, it just appears to be
1: not up for grabs. There's another side of him, isn't there, which is this royal worship. Which That's the thing that I always feel slightly disappointed by. Um, Yeah,
0: which is why I put the kind of, can I have a K in
2: there?
0: <laughs> because it does feel inevitable that sooner or later he will become Sir Stephen Fry. Do you
1: think so with all his bad behaviour?
0: I think you can be forgiven a lot if you're nice to the royal family and to the establishment because I mean that I mean Stephen is very much an establishment figure you know for all his countercultural activities he is so much of the establishment, um, I think it's inevitable he'll become Sir Stephen at some stage. The
1: coke snorting in this book was a news story in the tabloids, wasn't it, when the book was published? Did we... Did we, we didn't...
2: I'd really, I thought that was a pretty familiar story. Um, you don't pay enough attention, Claire, to the tabloid press. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, again, I thought this was
0: fairly familiar tale. I mean it would probably be harder to find someone in the early 1990s who had been on television a lot who hadn't taken bucketfuls of cocaine.
2: Yes, no, I I think that's already a a fairly familiar story. It's just I I thought it might be interesting to have that in the first person. And there are are kind of curious varieties of degeneracy that were thriving in those years, in the 80s. But uh, as you say, it's... um, it's not the kind of even slightly dispassionate account one would wish for.
1: Who things. is going to buy this? I'm really intrigued because you would think it was something that you you might give to your granny who watches <laughs> t- watches him on QI on the telly, but it's got quite a lot of bad behaviour for grannies. And you and his presumably his his sort of celebrity friends aren't going to buy it.
0: Um, I don't really know. I don't I've, know
2: what the sales figures are like. No, it means, I don't. Like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I
0: would just imagine that you know people will come across a book by Stephen Fry I you know I'm the sort of bestseller list in Amazon or on the front of Waterstones and just think that'll do you know it's a safe buy yes and, and I also think his writing is terribly cosy as well and that's go- to go back to the kind of cocaine stuff it makes it all sound you know I was very bad but it's all kind of just quite just being safe. a little naughty exactly um
2: and it wouldn't have put me off, you know, it wouldn't have stopped me having crumpets for tea and uh, yeah. lighting a, a log fire and remembering how dear the Queen is. Yeah, and watching repeats of Jeeves and Whistler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh dear, poor old Stephen. More for Me is published by Michael Joseph. Thanks very much to Lindsay Irving and John Crace.
2: Yes, I'll die with this fever in my soul
0: Line. Fever. Fever.
2: For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.